Well, on that note, we'll be making our own Poor Unfortunate Podcast NFTs for you all to buy. I don't even know what you do with NFTs. I don't I don't know. what I, I think I, you get I, them. I saw something that sort of like described cryptocurrency as like cryptocurrency, like it, do, it doesn't exist. And it's really just like, I have nothing in my hand, but I say that it's worth $5. You believe that. And so then you buy it with $5. And now I've made $5 off of nothing. And so, and now you have the nothing and two more people come along and they say, oh, we want to buy the nothing too. And we each have $10 that we'll give you. And then you're like, okay, great. But why Here's are the we nothing. buying the nothing? <laughs> why? Because. <laughs> because no. I don't know. I, I don't is, know why. This is like some messed up. Like Dr. Seuss poem. It's like, in my hand, I have a nothing. I'll sell it to you for two of your nothings. <laughs> you bring four of your nothings and I'll give you a something. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Things are hard like, that's enough. that's cryptocurrency. <laughs> oh, God. everyone and welcome to a new episode of Poor Unfortunate Podcast. I'm Caroline A. Meddy. And I'm Connor Perkins. Wow. Oh my god. <laughs> We're back. Welcome Sorry, back. Sorry everyone. It's been a hot minute for us. We've had a little bit of a hiatus. We were aiming to be back on the 17th. Then some personal things just sort of like all got mixed into one and it delayed us a little bit. But we are so excited that we're back with a new episode. Thank you to everyone who has, you know, stuck out with us. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. It's so good being with you again. If you're a new listener who is just finding this episode, welcome. Please hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. That way all of our new episodes download right to your device. You don't miss anything because we are going to be on a consistent schedule back again (laughs) uh, for the rest of the season. So have no fear about that. So Caroline, in the month-long hiatus, what's new? (laughs) My gosh, I feel like we have so much to catch up on. Well, just, you know, on the Poor Unfortunate podcast front, um, you know, we, we did a little giveaway. Since yeah, the holidays. Did. Yeah, the last time we spoke to y'all, it was the holiday season. So we had a nice giveaway. The last time you heard from us was our Christmas bonus. So yeah, that's just what's been happening with us. But, you know, in terms of Disney, whew, okay. So we both saw finally saw Encanto on Disney Plus and we loved it. Loved it. So good. I, I mean, I'm, oh. I'm kind of just like really proud of Walt Disney Animation Studios this year because during the pandemic, they really turned out some amazing movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, both Raya and Encanto came out this year. Yeah, and you're right. That's that's just like baffling to me because I love both of those movies mm-hmm. so much. And 
You asked me to pick which one I like more. I honestly can't tell you which mm-hmm. one. I can't believe, yeah, They're that was both neck 2021. Neck wow, what a year. Yeah, uh-huh. same year. Cruella. Like, that's really impressive. Yeah, well done. Cruella. Well done. Black Widow came out. Eternals came out. Shang-Chi. I finally saw oh, I still need Shang-Chi. To, oh, I still need to watch that. I think it may have taken my top spot for my favorite Marvel movie. Wow, you're not the first person I, who said that to me. Okay. I loved it. Okay. It felt like a combination of... All of the things that I really loved about Black Panther and then all of the things that I really love about Doctor Strange. And it felt like it just melded it all together. Mm. I So I thought that was wonderful. I watched all of Hawkeye. Hawkeye is amazing. I watched Eternals. So I'm all caught up on my Marvel. Yeah. Save for Save for No Way Home. Uh, uh, I haven't gotten to the theaters to yeah, see that. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Book of Boba Fett. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Somebody, and that's going great. I did not know that Bryce Dallas Howard directed. Yeah. An episode or more than one episode? She's directed an episode so far of Book mm. of Boba Fett. And oh. she's also directed episodes of The Mandalorian as well. Right, she's, right. Yeah, I'm a huge Bryce Dallas Howard fan too. in all things. Yeah, she directed the episode with the village where they have to, like, rebel against the oh, AT-AT. I love with, that episode. With soup, Grogu. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. soup yeah. in the robe. <laughs> yeah. That episode. She episode. did that one. The female directors on Mandalorian yep, mm-hmm. continue to bring it yeah. every single time. Yep. They have produced some of the best episodes and just like some of the best visions for Star Wars that I have seen mm-hmm. in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More female directors in Star Wars, please. Yes, please. Oh, yes, please. Um, oh, wait. But before, sorry, I'm going backwards a little. But before we move on from programming, I do want to know, I kind of asked you this, but it's a difficult question. What was your favorite song from Encanto? Favorite song from Encanto? Um I feel like mine changes every day. They're all so good. Yeah, mine mine changes. I mean, I love I love we don't talk about Bruno, but so does everyone else in the rest of the world. Oh my gosh, can you believe? It passed Let It Go in the Billboard I'm, charts. It's kind of wild. Wild. <laughs> wild. Uh, uh but I have to say Dos Origitas is I love yeah, that one. I think that's my favorite one. But I think all of you is my favorite right now. It just, it just, oh God, it hits me. The miracle is not some magic that you've got. The miracle is you, not some gift, just you. I I broke down. The final, the final lyrics are the, we see how bright you shine. Yes. We see how bright you burn. We see how brave you've been. Now see yourself in turn. You're the real gift kid. Let us in. Yeah. Oh God, that gets me. That's going to make me start crying. Okay, what else? Um, um, also, we've been, we both got some Twisted Tales books for Christmas. So we've been yeah, jumping we further did. into the Twisted Tales world. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. They're just like little addictive fan fictions. It's like popcorn. Yeah, exactly. Oh exactly. And I like, I, I don't necessarily feel smart when I finish reading no, one, but I'm like, I no. read a book. <laughs> yeah, no. I read a whole book in one When I lined up nice. my, like, I was going to take a picture, you know, for the for the memes, for the gram of all the books I read in 2021. And there was a scary amount of, like, youth and, and children's literature that I, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, my God. No, but I, I read As Old As Time. And oh, I'm in the middle of that taken, right now. That one has taken the cake for me. It's my wow. favorite one so wow. far. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, other Disney things. What's going on with the parks? Well, as far yeah, so now officially, now that the new year has started, the Magical, Magical Express, Express is no is more. Dead. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Killed it. Um. Yep. 
Gabby ran the marathon. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Shout out to our friend and listener Gabby who ran the Disney Marathon. We're so proud of you. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little moment because Gabby has been like a huge supporter of Poor Unfortunate Podcast since the beginning, since its infancy. Yes. And I I just want to take a moment real quick to just shout her out for doing this marathon, but not only because she did the Disney Marathon, but she did the Disney Marathon less than three months after <laughs> oh she did the New York gosh. City Marathon. Like Phew. she did two marathons within three months. It's <sighs> insane. And superhuman. she's it's amazing. always maintained her positivity. She's always, you know, just been the hardest worker. She continues to support the podcast in so many different ways. And so just want to shout out Gabby. Mm. Yes. The other big Disney uh, parks news is y'all with your crazy Disney merch, these figment popcorn buckets. <gasps> People like, waited five hours for a five hours for a figment popcorn bucket. Like, <laughs> you know, I love that stuff a lot, but I think but that, damn. Would, that would, yeah, I don't think I could go that far. Yeah, I don't think I could do but that. But damn, like that's... Like who, what would they have to make a popcorn bucket of for you to wait five hours? I'm trying to think for me. I mean, even if they made like a popcorn bucket of Pua, I don't think I'd mm. wait five hours for that. That's just, yeah, being in the, you would explode being in the parks, but not getting stuff done. You would never. No. You would never. No. I don't think that there is any popcorn bucket in the world. That's fair enough, yeah. That I would wait five hours for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unless it was, like, autographed <laughs> by someone or, like... And there was a fantastic meme that was, like, five-hour wait for a figment popcorn bucket. Two-minute wait to get on the figment ride. <laughs> I mean, it's an adorable popcorn bucket. Like, it's, it's really cute. freaking cute. But they've made other cuter, like, like sippers for me personally. Like, they've made better things than that. But, but teach his own. I think the last thing that I'll mention in terms of, like, news that's coming is some stuff that's coming from us. You all have asked for it numerous times, and we are finally getting it ready for you all. Merchandise is coming. Oh, so, I can't believe you're telling them now. You I'm going to tell them. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm going to tell them. It's not up yet, but please mm-hmm. keep your eyes peeled. We will be announcing it. It'll be part of our shop poorunfortunatepodcast.com. That's our website. In there is a shop feature. When it's up and ready, I'll let you know. But we'll have some merchandise items that you'll be able to get. So get your Instagram blogger selves ready to take some fancy photos and take some, some Poor Unfortunate Podcast yes, merch. Exactly. Please. Yeah. Yeah. So it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty much everything that we have by way of news. So we're returning to our cycle. We're at the second part of our cycle. So this is the showdown episode. And today we're shaking up the format a little bit in terms mm-hmm. of the way that we've been handling showdown. So you've seen us do comparisons of music, comparisons of movies, typically, uh, you know, Broadway shows, books. But you've never heard us do a comparison of two Disney characters. Mm-hmm. So we're giving that to you today. Uh, yep. Today... We are doing a showdown between two of the least liked princesses, Mm -hmm. or as some might say, the sleepiest princesses. Yes, yes. Snow White and Aurora. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know how the showdown works, essentially what we do is we take two like things, we put them together and tell you which one comes out on top. I will say, though, Caroline and I have very differing opinions on this going into this, and we both (laughs) know it. So this might yeah. be a little bit of a different type of showdown where we're trying to make the case for our yeah. argument. 
But mm-hmm. if you haven't seen Snow White, if you haven't seen Sleeping Beauty recently, both are up on Disney Plus. Please go ahead, take the time now if you want. Put them on. They're just like they're they're great films. They're great films to yeah. you know revisit, especially as you get older. If it's been a while, so take the time now. Go ahead, watch those films, and we'll be on hold, and we'll see you when you get back. And welcome back. <laughs> so. <sighs> Let's get into this, Caroline. Yes. Let's do some background information first because yep. that's how we that's how we do. Let's do Stone mm-hmm. White first because she came first. Fantastic. All right. So a little bit of background info on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So this movie was released at the Carthay Circle Theater in L.A. on December 21st, 1937, with the first re-release in 1944. So it's going to be celebrating a big old milestone, 85, 85 years old. This movie is written by Ted Sears, Richard Creedon, Otto Englander, Dick Rickard, Earl Hudd, Meryl Damaris, Dorothy Ann Blank, and Webb Smith, and it is based on the 1812 Grimm fairy tale. It is directed by David Hand. He's the supervising director, and he was also the supervising director on Bambi, produced by the one and only Walt Disney. Who? <laughs> Heard of him. <laughs> uh the budget for this film was $1.49 million. Uh, Walt Disney had to take out a lot of loans, sell a lot of things to make this movie happen. He really underestimated the budget for this. Um, Walt showed a lot of gumption with this. Um, he really got it done. And it paid off because the box office for this film is $418 million. Whoa. What? Yeah, can you believe? Yes. That's insane. <laughs> Like, what great numbers. Congratulations to the Walt Disney Company. So, this movie is starring Adriana Casalotti as Snow White herself, Lucille Laverne as the Evil Queen, Harry Stockwell as the Prince, and then let's just go through the dwarves, because there's just a lot of nice work getting done here. Roy Atwell as Doc, Pinto Colvig as Grumpy and Sleepy, Otis Harlan as Happy, Scotty Matra as Bashful, Billy Gilbert as Sneezy, and Eddie Collins and Jimmy McDonald sharing Dopey. And Maroney Olsen as the Magic Mirror. Two people on Dopey? Yes, because so, like one of them focused on like his just like, can you believe? I Like different kinds of You don't talk. <laughs> I know. Hilarious. That's my favorite fact. I can't. I can't. It's a lot of work. Uh, and Stuart Buchanan as the Huntsman. The music in the movie is by Frank Churchill, Paul Smith, and Lee Harline. And... The movie was nominated for Best Musical Score at the Academy Awards in 1938. And, of course, Walt Disney was awarded with an honorary Oscar for the film, which, of course, as we all know, came in a very unique format of one big one and a lot of seven miniature little Presented by Shirley Temple. Presented by Shirley Temple. And then in 1989, the United States Library of Congress deemed the film culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And selected it as one of the first 25 films for preservation in the National Film Registry. And the American Film Institute ranked it among the 100 greatest American films. And named the film as the greatest American animated film of all time in 2008. All right. 
So just a little tiny bit about the development, just short because we're really here to focus on Snow White herself. But this, I just, I think this is good to know going into it. So Walt Disney knew he wanted to venture into the world of animated features, which before this film had not happened. And he was thinking about going with a bunch of different stories. All of them didn't pan out for various reasons. But he also had a memory of seeing a version of Snow White at the Kansas City Convention Center when he was a child in 1916. So then he took the idea of doing Snow White and ran with that. He took his key animators out to dinner in 1934, gave them each 50 cents, and then took them to the studio's soundstage and acted out the whole story for them. Little bribery never hurt anybody. The piece began as more of a gag-filled story focused on the dwarves, but it evolved to focus on the relationship between Snow White and the Queen and became a much more dramatic film, thanks to Walt. He encouraged the team to draw inspiration from 350 books he brought back from a 1935 trip to Europe, as well as gothic romantic films of the time like Nosferatu and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And of course, just factual information before we jump back over to Aurora, just so we know. What do we know about Snow White factually? She's born royal. Both of her parents have died. She's a teenager, probably about 14 years old, and she has been made a scullery maid in her own castle by her stepmother. And there we go. All right. So I have Sleeping Beauty, which is no surprise to you all because you know how much I love this film. So mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty was released on January 29th, 1959. Uh, Walt Disney was the producer, and it was directed by Clyde Geronimi, who was the supervising director. Eric Larson, Wolfgang Reitherman, and Les Clark were the sequence directors. The adaptation was by Erdman Penner, and the additional story was by Joe Ronaldo, Winston Hibbler, Ted Sears, Bill Peet, Ralph Wright, and Milt Banta. It's based on Sleeping Beauty by Charles Perrault, and the music is by George Bruns, but also it's the music from Tchaikovsky's ballet of Sleeping mm-hmm. Beauty, which is gorgeous and why the music is just so stunning. Uh, It stars, among others, Mary Costa as Aurora, Bill Shirley as Prince Philip, Eleanor Audley as Maleficent, a.k.a. Madame Leota, Mm. Verna Felton as Flora, Barbara Luddy as Meriwether, and Barbara Jo Allen as Fauna. The budget for this film was approximately $6 million. The box office for the film was $51.6 million. However... The film grossed approximately $5.3 million in the original theatrical run. Mm-hmm. So combined with that $6 million production budget, which was the most expensive animated film to date, it was like nearly double the size of some of its predecessors in terms of budget. So Disney took a loss that year, and uh, they hadn't really taken a loss prior to it. And that caused significant uh, layoffs in the company. After Walt's death, however, the film had many re-releases that helped it climb to the number two top-grossing film of 1959 behind Ben-Hur. Mm. And it's also one of the top 40 of all time. Mm-hmm. Initially, the film was praised sometimes for the design. There were some people who really, really thought the design was gorgeous. There are some people who thought that the sort of like cubism meant was harsh and too childlike and other things. They praised the color, the voice performances, and the sound, but it was heavily criticized for its similarities to Snow White. People Mm. said the princesses looked the same, 
What? Clearly their eyes weren't open as they watched the movie. <laughs> and they also said that the comedy and characters just like didn't do it for them as much as they did in Snow White, which I disagree. Today, however, the film has an 89% certified fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, and in 2019, it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Uh, It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Scoring of a Musical Picture and a Grammy Award for Best Soundtrack Album. So I'm not going to go more into like the design and, and everything about this and how it was sort of like created. If you want more of that information, definitely actually listen to our episode with movie marathons. Uh, Heck yes, Disney Plus in season one, because I do talk a little bit more about how this movie was created, because a lot of it really comes down to the design of this film. And that's kind of why it's become so popular. Mm. All right. So. Before we dive in, I just want to lay out for you how we are going to be comparing these two princesses because we wanted to try to make this as objective as possible and also not necessarily just pit these two princesses against each other, but kind of judge them on the same scales individually and see what happens. So we will be looking at them through three different lenses. And the first lens is this. In the Dream Big Princess collection that Disney has released, and in the whole Dream Big Princess campaign, Disney has given each princess three defining characteristics. So first, what we are going to do is figure out how well each of these ladies live up to their three defining characteristics. Then we are going to look at them through the perspective of design. And then we are going to look at them through the lens of, are they a good role model? Do we want to look up to them? And then we will see what happens. So we're going to start with Snow White. And the three characteristics given to her by the Dream Big Princess campaign are kind, cheerful, and genuine. So let's start with kind, shall we? All right. Snow White's kindness, I mean, it's everything, but let's just start here. It is first made clear, I believe, through her relationship with animals. And they always say that you can know a person's true heart by the way animals react to them. Not only did Snow White establish this trope for many a Disney princess to come, but I feel like unlike other princesses, she doesn't necessarily have specific animal friends who are constantly around, who she's formed a long-term relationship with. But she is genuinely kind and gentle to animals that she's never met before. She is nearly stabbed in the back by the huntsman, while she rescues a baby bird separated from its parents. And then, these animals who didn't know her up until this day are willing to help her just, like, fully clean a house, pretty much do whatever she says. And this is purely motivated by her good nature and kindness, and nothing else. They've got nothing else to build on. And, of course, kindness is the crux of Snow White's story. And the reason I found it so touching upon what was my first rewatch in many years is that I feel like this whole story is Snow White's quest to have even a small part of the kindness that she shows others be returned to her. Mm. When the huntsman is literally about to murder her, she doesn't turn around and say, what the actual hell are you doing? She says, I don't understand. She truly takes what would be the most terrifying moment of anyone's life and tries to understand the person who is going to harm her. Snow also prays for all of the dwarfs, but she focuses the most of all on Grumpy, 
the person who is the least kind to her in the cottage. That's the golden rule at work. And honestly, it's borderline saintly. She heaps extra kindness and love on the person who needs it the most, even though he doesn't return the kindness to her for a good long time. Then she finds kindness in the home of the dwarves, and it's snatched from her by the poison apple. I I found it very, I was surprised by how much I was drawn in by the story. It's been a long time for me. Um, But anyway, people also criticize Snow White and the prince for having a lack of chemistry and a true connection. Mm -hmm. First of all, okay, this was Disney's first foray into child-friendly romance, so calm down. Without this, we wouldn't have all the other much better and much more fleshed out romances that we love today. Also, this movie is 83 minutes, okay? We're clipping along here, people. But more than that, her being drawn to the prince makes sense to me. He's nice to her. He's kind to her. And sure, it doesn't take much, but her happy ending is riding off with someone kind. And to me, that is plenty good enough. I want to see her with somebody kind, and he's kind. But she didn't have to ride off with someone kind. She had kind people already standing by. But that doesn't make her any less, just because you disagree with that choice doesn't make her any less kind. No, it's it's just a poor decision. The proof that Snow White fully lives up to this characteristic 100 billion percent is that kindness becomes her downfall in this film. It's her downfall in the welcoming of the old woman into the cottage. She really only does so because the forest animals attacked the woman in the front yard. She went out to meet her in the front yard, but then she feels terrible because she sees her forest friends attack an old woman. And she felt bad. I can't even blame her. Like, even to me, even Cinderella doesn't reach this level of selflessness because it doesn't become her fatal flaw in the way that it does for Snow White. And to me, that is the ultimate proof that she is kind through and through and through. All right. So I have a lot of things that I will agree with you in terms of her kindness, but I do just want to take that point that you just made and say, I don't necessarily, I'm I'm looking at this in, in not saying that any of the characteristics that Snow White has are inherently bad, However, I do think that sometimes she doesn't necessarily have a healthy relationship with those characteristics in herself. Like, That's fair. I think that kindness is essential to every single person. But as you just said, her kindness becomes her downfall. And that is, I think, a place where you're taking kindness a little bit too far to the point where it does become a detriment and almost sort of becomes something else. Uh, and I sort of touch on this when we talk about her other characteristic of cheerfulness, where kindness and cheerfulness when taken too far can sort of turn into blind optimism or Mm -hmm. even naivete, Mm -hmm. which gets her into some trouble here. Um, But I will say some of the things that like I really agree with in terms of Snow White, I'm never going to fault someone for kindness. Snow is immensely kind to the animals. I mean, I'll also say girl's pretty chill and forgiving with that huntsman who was legit going to kill her and cut out her heart. She's like, no worries, bro. I'll run away like you suggested. And I don't know how many people would be that cool with their assassin. I'm like, all right. Do I necessarily think that, like, am I amazed that she was, like, that cool with the assassin? Sure. Do I necessarily, would I have faulted her if she, like, you know, maybe slugged him across the face? No, I wouldn't have faulted her (laughs) for that either. That feels like a little bit of a regular response. But I'll also say, you know, one of the things I was sort of struck by with her kindness is she doesn't have any expectations of handouts. 
which is itself mm-hmm. a particular kind of kindness. Like she comes into yeah. the cottage and she's basically like, okay, I'm going to clean this shit sty up so that maybe they'll let me stay. Yep. There's no exactly. guarantee that she's going to be allowed to stay when all is said and done. Does mm-hmm. she act that way afterwards? No. She lays down <laughs> and sleeps in someone else's bed. But her intention in the beginning was kind. Now, I will say, and this is where I want to kind of put a pin in what we were talking about with Grumpy. While Mm -hmm. she's generally kind to the dwarves, I'm also kind of like, girl, these dudes are allowing you to hide away here under penalty of death. And in a matter of minutes from them, you know, welcoming you into their home and saying that they'll protect you. You're going to tell them that they can't eat if they don't go wash. And you're going to be enforcing different rules on them. Like, this is their house. Those are their food. That's their ingredients that you cooked up. Everything is there. So, like, if they don't want to wash, that's not your business right now. This is night one. Like, pick your <laughs> battle. And so it kind of like strikes me as like a rather <laughs> unkind thing to do under the circumstances to just like start enforcing your rules and like your stuff on these people when it's like they're doing you a pretty good service. And in particular with Grumpy, I don't think she extends as much kindness to him in the moment, like when she's with him as she could. Like she frequently will like tease him at his grumpiness when. And upon rewatch of the film, I don't necessarily think Grumpy is all that grumpy as much as he is pragmatic. Everything that Grumpy says in the film turns out to be right. Like when they first meet him and he's like, she can't stay here. The witch is going to find out that she's here. And she's like, oh no, she doesn't know where I am. And he's like, she's a witch. She's like, she's going to figure it out. She could be invisible. She could be here in this room. And he's right because like cut right back to the queen in her room. And she's like magic mirror. Who's the fairest one of all. And he's like beyond the seven jeweled Hills beyond the seventh fall. Like that's where she is and gives up her location. So like grumpy was right. And he was right to be pragmatic, but she but that doesn't of, make Snow White any less kind just because Grumpy happens to be right. Come on now. Come no, on. No, no. But for her to be like, oh, you must be Grumpy. And I'm like. Yeah, but he also like. So everybody is? Everybody else agrees. They're like, yes, well, we will let her sleep on our bed. And he's the only one who's like. He's grumbling the whole time. He's pissed off. Like, come on, dude. That's not kind at all. So but like. It's his, if he's in a bed. Ba- but if you're, but if you're gonna bat, but I feel like sometimes the way that you have to balance that kind of person is with the teasing, like you, the straight up being nice. It didn't get her anywhere with him. Sure, but she also will repeatedly like tease him or like prod him when like clearly that tactic isn't working with Grumpy, and like there will be times where like he trips or something like that, or he something gets caught in his, and she like laughs at him, and like. I don't know. I get that, like, maybe she's laughing, like, in jest of the situation to be like, lighten up. But clearly that that isn't the way to get through to him, that there's another another way. And so I'm just like, I don't necessarily think that she's extending as much kindness to him when she's not really seeing what he actually needs from her. Which I would venture to say it works, though, because then when they're all leaving for work. He wants a kiss from her. So something got through to him. And that was like in like one day. She is not an unkind person. I do think that there are moments where her kindness can go a little bit overboard, Mm -hmm. especially in the instance with the queen. Yeah, it does. It does. It's interesting. I thought going through this, I was like, oh, like kindness is her thing. But then, interestingly, when I moved into cheerfulness, 
there's something going on there, and I think it's interesting. So I'd like to hear what you think about this as well, because again, connected to what you're saying, I think just like her kindness, at first glance, Snow's cheerfulness can come across as kind of toxic after uh-huh. the nonstop ordeals that she endures. Like yes. her first 10 minutes of this movie are genuinely horrifying. I would never mentally survive what she went through. Never mind, then have the ability to be kind to anyone afterward. So she's basically enslaved by her stepmother, brought out to a field to be murdered, then nearly falls to her death in the forest completely alone. Her cheerfulness upon meeting the forest animals and then launching into with a smile and a song, it's a genuine attempt to get her wits back about her. I think it can come off as like, everything's good, ha ha ha. But it's that's someone who's been traumatized, trying to bring herself back to the current moment, calm herself down and find some shred of positivity and hope so that she can do the next logical thing, which is what she does, which is find somewhere to go sleep and to stay so that she isn't found. I think that we often look down upon cheerfulness like it's a societal thing, but I think Snow actually uses it to make herself powerful. She's singing to the animals, but she's really singing to herself in that moment. People who have been traumatized need cheerfulness to power them through to somewhere that's actually safe for them to be, where then they can actually like kind of come back down to earth, process what to do next. And all of her songs are about bringing cheerfulness to and making the best of the current moment. With a smile and a song is to make herself brave. Whistle While You Work is about being cheerful while you do a mundane task or a task you might not enjoy. Someday my prince will come. This is another thing that I feel like gets a lot of flack. It helps her dream herself outside of scrubbing the literal floors of the castle that is rightfully hers, and again later at the cottage, as a reminder to herself that dreams can still come true, even though everything in her life has been turned on its head. She looks back on her memories of the prince with happiness, rather than a sense of regret or bitterness, unlike you know, some other sleeping princesses that we will discuss. Someday we'll meet again, she sings, rather than like, oh, I hate everything. Why did I have to be separated from the prince? All of this stuff that I think other princesses would do. After having been in a pandemic for two years, I honestly have a lot of respect for cheerfulness as a coping mechanism and a show of strength at times. I think honestly, like saying, remember, you're the one who can fill the world with sunshine. That's beautiful. And I think that gets into a little bit of her genuine nature as well. But also on the side of cheerfulness being a little bit unhealthy, I do think the movie has a really nice sense of humor about it sometimes because Snow is constantly scaring the shit out of the forest animals with her high-pitched voice and her excitability. It makes it feel more genuine when it's not always taken so seriously. And I was like, this is the paragon of how we should be. We should always be cheerful. It's made fun of, and I feel like that balances it out. But ultimately, I do feel like she makes cheerfulness have a deeper meaning and make it a source of power. And I thought that was very interesting. All right. All right. I mean, I will give you, I think she's very cheerful. She has the ability to sort of find the best in any situation. And I I agree. Like after her one well-earned mental breakdown in the woods, (laughs) she immediately is like animals and like, I'm going to connect and spark (laughs) some joy. Mm -hmm. 
But I will also say this is this is the part her cheerfulness is where I think it verges on blind optimism where mm-hmm. because she's sort of like coming at 110% all the time with her cheerfulness that there's no level to it there's no there's no range for it for us to one get a little bit beyond sort of like the facade of her to like actually kind of know her but also that optimism can easily be taken advantage of like her optimism her like blind optimism is what is is part of that easy sell for the queen with the magic wishing apple she's like oh my gosh and this wishing apple is going to make all of my dreams come true and like she puts that cheerfulness onto this strange object being given to her by a stranger and that is what meets the evil queen halfway to make you know that whole thing go down because at the end of the day and I'll, I'll say this because Aurora is coming. The real difference between the two of them in terms of their their fates of being put under a sleeping curse is one makes a choice. The other one's in a trance. Like, age, there's a level of agency and there's a level of participation that's part of it. And Snow does participate in a choice that leads to her downfall. And I think that her cheerfulness, which on one hand can be such an empowering and such like a brave thing, is also the same thing that is taken advantage of because she doesn't have a healthy level of skepticism that comes with her cheerfulness. Um, I'll also say, in terms of blind optimism, she does take quite the gamble by just choosing to sleep in a random house in beds that don't belong to her. I mean... That's some blind optimism if there was any. (laughs) Fortunately, the people who lived there were like super chill about it. (laughs) And then I'll also say, I think that there are times, again, speaking to the sort of like levels of cheerfulness, that I think she's there are times where she's inappropriately cheerful, especially sort of like at the end of the film when she's awakened by the prince and she leaves the dwarves. I mean, I'm not going to fault anybody for being cheerful. The fact that they just like woke up from death, like that, that's great. But these men, (laughs) these men also just stood vigil over her body for like seasons. We see the seasons literally change. And then she's just like, bye. And very quickly rushes through all of her farewells to leave these dwarves and like never see them again. And so that cheerfulness in that also sort of, can read as like a little bit condescending almost like oh i'm looking down at you because i'm going off to do this next thing that's making me happier (gasps) that's such a cynical view of what she's doing she's she she's been asleep for a long time yes yeah she knew these guys for one day she's been waiting to like reconnect with the prince who she met for three minutes (laughs) and who was kind to her as i said but imagine the dwarves were kind to her for over a day she has more loyalty to them waking up from death and your literal dream lover is there. <laughs> I would be like, bye. And I'd like to think I'm a nice person. I mean, they've been waiting by her side. And I would be like, you know what? I'm going to get to you in a second, Mr. Prince. But you all, I never had the opportunity to really just say thank you for everything that you did. And sorry for breaking your rules of your house when you told me, don't <laughs> let anybody in the house. And I and I didn't listen. And I did what I wanted to do. <laughs> like. And I want to thank you for not burying me alive because otherwise this wouldn't have been possible without you. Yeah, man. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she's just like, oh, goodbye, 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 goodbye. And then she's like gone. And I'm like, where's that that moment? Where's that like, where's that Dorothy with the Tin Man and and Scarecrow moment that I want with like these guys who have been with her? 
That's also because Walt was already afraid to make this feature film because he was like, are people going to have the attention span for a feature length animation? So she had to get out of there. We had to wrap this thing up. Well, we didn't need to spend all all that That wasn't on her. We didn't need to spend all that time cleaning. We didn't need to spend all that time running around the woods for (laughs) for a heartfelt conversation. We could have had a heartfelt conversation. But her joy is just like constantly at the same level. And that same level of cheerfulness is not appropriate for every single situation. And so that's why I think, while yes, cheerfulness is a really, really great trait and there's a lot of really good things, there's also a time and a place for it. And I feel like Snow uses cheerfulness all the time in all the places. And that's not healthy. But she's traumatized. Like, she's literally trying, you're giving her one day to get over the, the biggest trauma anyone could ever go through, which is be- almost being murdered. Well, I don't um, think then that she's actually know, dealing with it. I think she's just, just suppressing it and it? covering it up. I think she's just suppressing it. For one day? Come on. Come she on. But she doesn't act like she's that not a real hard. human. She is a survivor. There is not a lot of respect for survivors in that. That's like, um, deal with it. Please, like, sit there and cry and scream at everyone and get over it instead of just trying to make it through the day to day for Girl, a minute. Bye. Girl, bye. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay. So the last one is genuine. And I would just like to start by saying that this is a pretty lame characteristic to define her by. Like, honestly, not a single Disney princess is is not genuine. And it's also a bit of a generic word. It means authentic or of sincere emotion or action. I think this is a bit of a ripoff, but we're just going to go with it. Oh, this interesting. Because this, I think this word is the one out of the three that I would most sum her up with. I feel like it doesn't define her... I think there are a lot of other princesses that are genuine, just as I think that there are other princesses who are kind and cheerful. However, I Mm. think that she is probably the one who most clearly exemplifies being genuine. Okay. Okay. So great, great, great. Okay. So, all right. So I think, again, I've said it over and over, but I really, I think... Snow gets a lot of, like, flack for being obsessed with the prince. Like, we just, like, write her off because her song is called Someday My Prince Will Come. Y'all, like, as I already said, that song is so much less about the prince himself and more about a general sense of hope for someone whose life is absolutely hopeless. But more than that, who would not genuinely feel stirrings of romantic feelings for the first person to be kind to you in years who also happens to be really attractive to you like i would like to see anybody else put in that position and not be like this is the person i want to be with she also though doesn't spend her time pining away she only brings up the prince once prompted by the dwarfs and has focused her attention on surviving and what she believes will be her life now which right now is living with them at the cottage so the feeling that she feels for the prince it is genuine it is not obsessive. She brings up the prince during the apple scene. Yeah, but it, it, to make a wish. Okay. Yeah, she wishes Fair for enough. him. Well, she what wishes else could she him. wish for? My safety. <laughs> for me to be is able the, to process this the, trauma but, in but, a healthy way. Yes, but, she, but, be, but because of the moment that she met him, she equates those two things. But anyway, I really do think that her feelings for someone that she met once don't actually consume her. She has moved on to survival. Respect. Also, as I mentioned before, she prays and believes in a higher power. So we know that her kindness is genuine because it may largely be motivated by her larger religious beliefs. She also, and you mentioned this too, Connor, so I kind of put this under the genuine category. But like we said, like she could have possessed 
some aspects of entitlement growing up royal. But like you said, when she arrives at the cottage of the dwarves, she does not assume she will be welcomed. She cleans the house in the hopes of earning her way into the ability to be able to stay. Also, she's 14 and was raised royal, but she knows how to cook. This is not someone who feels that she is owed anything. Oh, and because she was forced to be a maid. Too. That's the only reason yeah, she, she knows how to cook. If someone told me at 13 that now I was the maid and I had to make something, they would starve. They would have starved. But the girl figured it out. And you would have been dead. (laughs) (laughs) Also, when she is lost in the forest, and this is something that, again, we'll bring up later when we're kind of comparing the two a little bit more. She throws herself at some of those trees, though. I'm like, girl, they're not grabbing at you. You're throwing yourself into this branch. You said, you said when it came to, like, being put under a spell that Aurora being put under the spell was passive. She was in a trance. Mm -hmm. And... Snow White took that with agency. I will take agency over passivity any day because sometimes life is about having agency and making mistakes. Anyway, when Snow White is lost in the forest, she is fully trying to save herself. She does not once play the damsel in distress. She saves herself from falling into a pit of, like, alligators, it appeared to be. No, they were logs that she imagined to be alligators. And she saved herself from them. She's <laughs> from the scrappy. logs. She, yes. She doesn't play the damsel card and doesn't even try to use that with the forest animals. When she could take her moment and get some pity, she apologizes to them. And she's like, I'm so ashamed of the fuss I made. Good. One thing, though, that I do wish was a bit more genuine, which you've touched on, is her relationship with the dwarves. She genuinely cares for them and they her for sure. Absolutely no doubt about that. But Snow often infantilizes them, and I wish that, like you said, I do wish that she spoke to them more genuinely. They're grown-ass men. They're older than her. Exactly. But when you step back and think about a 14-year-old speaking to adults this way, it's odd. And it can be a little bit superficial. So I wouldn't put that under the cheerfulness category. I would put that under the genuine category as a place where I'm like, meh, I'm not so sure. All right. Well, for me, I think genuine is the word that really does sum up Snow White. It's this level of sincerity that I think that she has that is this admirable trait. She takes people at their word. She's inherently trusting because she is honest with them. That is that is the genuine nature that I think is very iconically Snow White. There's no oh. ulterior motives with her. What you see mm-hmm. is what you get. But I also can't help but feel that her sincerity sort of runneth over into the realm of dangerous naivete. She is seriously and genuinely surprised when the huntsman tells her that the queen hates her and wants her dead. But this queen is the same stepmother who dresses her in rags and has forced her to be a scullery maid. Like, Snow knows she's a princess. She clearly has other outfits. She wears this yellow one with the nice (laughs) blue puffy (laughs) sleeves and everything. But I have a question. Don't you think that if someone told Cinderella that Lady Tremaine wanted to kill her, I think she'd be a little surprised. That's that's next level. I don't know. I, I feel like if I'm forced to do something, I'm like, I know that this person doesn't like me. And for them to then, you know force me essentially into like slavery essentially or like a servitude to them i don't think it would be as much of a leap for me then to go like and now this person wants me gone out of the picture they're done with me i don't i don't 14. think so she's 14 so you don't think that adults want to kill you <laughs> listen 
If you have learned anything from Stranger Danger and Street Smarts <laughs> that you know as John Mulaney Nobody says, taught her Stranger Danger. It's this sincerity <laughs> of taking everyone at their word that gets her in danger multiple times in the same film, including when she eats the poison apple. She takes this woman at her word that this is a magic apple. She never questions it. She never learns anything. The way that she's approaching situations, the way that her, you know, naivete and genuine nature is to the world is not the world that she's being confronted with. And as opposed to learning from that and learning from Grumpy, to be completely honest, about like a healthy dose of skepticism, maybe not to the point at which Grumpy goes, she never learns that. And there's no consequence at the end for her to not really learn that. But all she gets is one day. She only gets one day to figure all these things out that you're expecting her to get over her trauma, figure out that the world is a bad place all in, in 24 hours. As a 14-year-old who has been abused. This is a movie. That's their job. This is fantasy. You're mean. But specifically, during the peddler woman apple scene, Snow, in her genuineness and naivete, gives it all up right away. The stranger shows up in her window, and she leads with, all alone. And Snow's like, yep. If that is what a stranger is leading with, They don't need the truth. They do not need to know what's going on. This is where animal instinct, regardless of how old you are, this is where fight or flight comes in. And she didn't do it. She's just like, she wants to know if I'm all alone. Yes, I'm all alone. She takes this woman at their word. There are so many red flags. And Snow White is like literally picking up all the red flags, sewing them into a gown for her to wear to her first date. Her kindness plays into this scene as well. Kindness to a fault. It's just... The poison apple scene is just a literal disaster for her. Like, she just she just plays it all wrong. Like, she just makes some really, really not great choices. And sure, she's 14. But you're coming at her. You're not focusing enough on her three characteristics. She's filling them. You just think she makes bad choices. I'm saying that she's filling those characteristics to a level that is unhealthy and not something that we should look up to. I would not want to inhabit the level of of Snow White's being genuine. I would not want to inhabit Snow White's level of cheerfulness or kindness. Those all, to me, seem taken to such an extreme level that they borderline on being toxic. Mm -hmm. All right. Fair enough. So, for Aurora, for her dream big princess characteristics, there are three characteristics for her that were given. Graceful, loving, and dreamer. Now, I do not think that these are the most flashy characteristics, but I'll start with graceful. So, I think a big part of being graceful is about how you carry yourself with respect. And both respect for yourself and to the world around you. And that is who Aurora is in her bones. She feels a genuine connection to the people around her and even more so to the animals in, in nature. They are her friends. She has relationships with them and she moves through that natural world with such confidence and poise. She feels confident in herself. It's beautiful to watch her. I think a big moment, actually, though, in in terms of being graceful and carrying yourself with respect and exhibiting that respect to others really happens in the end of the film. Uh, And that's when she leans down and she offers King Hubert a kiss. 
where he's having this really big moment where he's just like not comprehending everything that's happening. He's waking up from a sleep. He's not putting all the pieces together and he's just like really stressed and, and confused. And she just leans down and she sees that in that moment he needs to be put at ease. And she has that respect for him, that respect for herself and that confidence to lean down, give him a kiss and basically just say, listen, it's okay that you don't understand what's going on. Everything's going to be okay. And she puts him completely at ease. And that is Well, we're filling in a lot there if if that's what she's thinking, because we don't know what she's thinking very often. Sure, we could fill that in if we want to. I will also say tasteful and elegance are also part of being graceful. And really, that is who Aurora is to a T. Her sense of style, her costuming is exquisite. (laughs) She has an appreciation for and finds beauty in everything and everyone. She's able to look at someone and find what's beautiful about them. She looks at you are stretching this hard. None of this is in what she actually does. You're just saying that. She, <laughs> she finds beauty in everything. Oh man. You don't think so? I I I actually don't. I think she's pretty spoiled. I think she looks a lot of things that are beautiful in the eye and is like, uh. What do you mean? She looks at those animals. Those animals, like, they get the coat and everything together. And she sees that they're trying to do something special for her. And she's like, this moment where you're trying to be the man of my dreams and you're all working together. She's like, that's really beautiful. And I'm going to dance with you. And I'm going to buy in and treat you with, like, love and respect. And we're going to we're gonna dance together. I think that's I think that's pretty graceful to be like... I'm going to treat you with respect and find beauty in in what you're trying to do for me. I feel like those are her only friends. So it's kind of like take it or or leave it. Shut up. Oh, my. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's all she's got. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's hear what you've got to say about gracefulness. All right. Yes, I agree. I think she's very elegant. And that's because of her design. I will say she's beautiful to watch. Did she pick that gown out herself? She didn't. Which one? But yes, she's a beautiful the the her princess gown it was made, it was for, made her. for her yeah right okay but anyway she's a good dancer she's enjoyable to watch move about her world physically she's graceful but when it comes to being someone full of grace i don't think she is she does not show any grace to the fairies when they explain to her who she truly is she doesn't ask them to explain a bit more or to take a moment to consider what kind of sacrifice these 16 years were for them or to ask who they really are that would be showing grace taking a moment to hear her loved ones out even though she is experiencing a moment of extreme disappointment she goes right to sobbing and acting like her life is over that is not a graceful way to handle disappointment at all she's a drama queen she's swept up by the love at first sight meeting with philip And she is a big fan of putting her head down and crying. That's like what she does. I would not call that graceful. Girlfriend. I think that Disney giving Aurora the word graceful is just because they wish they could just be like, she's pretty. No. Also, a little bit space cadet-y. Philip asks her what her name is and she's just like, huh? My name? That's not graceful. That's not like put together moving through the world. She got caught up in the moment. She was having a moment. doesn't know what is going on. She's a dreamer. Anyway, here's what I'll give her. I guess at the end of the day, she goes, she does go with the fairies back to the castle. So I guess that is a life change that requires some measure of grace to accept and go along with. But she has a disadvantage here because we don't literally hear anything from her after that. So how could we know? It's like, is she like, oh, I want to go and do my duty and be the princess. Or is she like, I hate this. 
we don't ever really know. It seems like she hates it because she doesn't say a word. She's blank faced. And then she puts her head down and sobs once again. But that's it. I will say, I think it's unfair to be like, oh my God, you're spoiled because you find out that you're a princess and you like cry. She essentially found out that the entire life that she's known for this entire 16 years was a carefully constructed lie. Even more so than the trauma, I think that, you know, Snow White goes for of like, oh my gosh, my stepmother goes from here. Like, yeah, but she's never is... been put in harm's way ever. She's had a very safe and happy life. No, but to then all of a sudden be like, oh my gosh, there, I'm now a princess. That means that there's duties and expectations and blah, blah, blah. And like everything, just like think about like everything that you possibly know to be true about yourself. For that to be something that's been hidden from you for so long with the only people in your life, like, that's the thing. Like, these are the only three people that she's ever met in her life outside of Philip, and she's just found out that all three of them have been lying to her face for 16 years. Yes, to her to protect her, but a lie nonetheless, that immediately starts the question of what else in my life is a lie? What is true? Who am I? But that's I? not what she's that- saying. But that's, but she's not crying about those things. She's crying because she can't meet up with her little boyfriend at the cottage later that night. I don't blame her for crying at all. I would cry too. I'm not blaming her for the crying. I'm saying not giving It sounded like you were because you said that she no, was spoiled no. because she just put her head down and cried twice. You did say that. Yeah, because she's not giving grace to the people who are delivering this news to her, which obviously has had an effect on their lives as well. And honestly, then I would say the same thing to her that you said to Snow White, which is get over it. It's traumatizing. Get over it and learn from it, sister. Get okay, over great. it. It's, then we be can, fine. Then we can just like check that off. And you know what? I will say girl does get over it because she gets herself up and she could easily just run away and those to go three, live in a palace and wear a crown i think she'll be she, okay that's not what she wants though what she wants but is the life that i don't think that's that any comparison to get over that versus get over the fact that you were were tried to be murdered you were lost in the woods you have literally nobody in this life they're different they're different they're, they're different but i think that they are on the same level, get over the fact that your entire life is a lie. I think that that is a pretty devastating construct to have shattered in a, in this in the second it is in a day. It is, but I don't think. And then be like, you're going to have to go meet some strangers and call them. No, mom I don't. And dad. I don't blame any of that. But I don't think in that moment she exemplified grace. We're. To, I'm not saying I don't understand this, but if we're looking at this through these characteristics, does she exemplify them to the highest degree? No, she does not exemplify having grace. I I will disagree with you there because she does, at the end of the day, get herself up. She goes back to the castle. She sits down and she does her duty. They put the crown on her head. She looks at herself in the mirror. She doesn't cry because she needs a moment, but she's still there. She's not running away. She's not resisting. There is a level of acceptance that she has, that she has a duty to do. And what she is feeling, she can feel. But at the end of the day, there is no... She has she has to go this way. I guess it doesn't impact me in the same way that it does you just because to me it feels very it just feels passive. It doesn't feel like someone being like, I'm going to go do the thing that's right. Well, we just don't get we just don't get to see that moment because it cuts away right to King Hubert and King Stefan to like Mm -hmm. talking. And then the next thing we see is the fairies leading her back to the castle with her cloak. And yeah. like, so get, I'll give Aurora the fact that we have are clipping through an 80 minute movie as long as we give that to Snow White as well. 
We're clipping through an 80-minute movie in which Snow White is featured in almost every scene, where we're clipping through an 80-minute movie in which Aurora is part of 16 full minutes. So in the 16 minutes, I think we get an incredibly fleshed-out character, and there is a level of things that we do have to sort of put on to her, given the way that the story is moving. But the story isn't necessarily about Aurora. The main characters of the story are the three fairies and Maleficent. Mm-hmm, for sure, yes. Um, but moving on to loving... Aurora is so loving to the three fairies. She knows exactly what they're doing on her birthday by sending her to pick berries. And she happily plays along. She knows what it means to them that they want to do something special for her. And that comes first for her. She doesn't care whatever they could be making. Honestly, if she walked in that door and they had the unbaked cake and they had the ugly dress... I feel confident in saying that that wouldn't have mattered to her because... Yeah, that's extrapolating a little, though. We can't know that. I don't trust that, personally. We can't know that for sure. But she sees in that moment they want to do something special for her. And she's saying, okay, I'm going to let them do that because that is what's going to make them feel special in this moment. Because they want to give something. You're filling... It's wonderful. I wish she was the princess that you're making her out to be. But you're filling in so many extra things. You don't, that we don't see that, that? aren't proven. No. You don't see that at all. The sm- the like knowing smile that she has when they're like, "Well, I picked berries yesterday." And they're like, "We need more berries, more." They push her out the door. She looks back and she gives that sort of like knowing smile. And then they're like, "Goodbye, dear." And they're like brushing her out. And then she's like, "Goodbye." And she turns around. And she smiles and she goes to pick the berries. She knows what's going on. It's all. It's not being said literally, but it's in. It's in the body language that's been created. It's it's there. I'll also say, growing up with Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether, she has to not be a stranger to their quarrels and their bickering. Like, Flora and Meriwether are going to go at it. This is not the first time that they've gone at it before. The thing that's really interesting about Aurora is that she consistently brings out the best in all three of the fairies. Although that they have their own bickering and their little infights and everything, the thing that actually unites the three of them is the love that they have for Aurora and the love that she has for them. I also sort of think that this love extends to how much she is willing to put others before herself. Even after falling for Philip and wanting to meet him again, she, of course, breaks down when the fairies tell her who she actually is, that she's been betrothed, that her agency of who she loves has been taken from her from the moment of when she was born, just because she was a woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Her world is shattered, but soon after that, she goes with them to the castle. She puts her trust in the fairies and her duty to the kingdom and her parents first. Oh, wait, it's not just because she's a woman. Philip is forced to be betrothed to her as well. It's it's equal with the genders. He can't sure. marry who he wants either. Sure. Equal. Okay. Equal. Great. Equal. I think that is loving. She has a love for the fairies that she does trust them and go with them. At the end of the day... Regardless of whether or not she's happy about it, she goes with them. There's a level of love there to be like, you know what? I'm going to go. As opposed to run away. She could run away and meet up with this dude in the woods. And the fairies literally would never find her. Because they're so, you know, chaotic good right now. (laughs) But I also think that the care that she shows also extends to the animal. She treats them as friends. She treats them as equals. It's not in a childish way that she's like talking down to them or anything. She is their friend. And yes, some of that is out of necessity. But even so, she's not like being like, oh, 
I'm Snow White and I you're you're just like little animals and blah 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 blah. She's like, no, we're friends. We're like bros. Like we're gonna talk this yeah. through. And yeah, I think her relationship with the animals is very loving. Like I said, I think it's the same kind of thing where it's like you can tell somebody is genuine nature by how animals perceive them for sure. Mm-hmm. And also in I when she sings I Wonder, we I think that's the most information we get about her. We find out that Aurora wants to know who out there is going to sing a love song back to her. So but so it's a moment we get a, a small glimpse into her inner workings. And what we get is that she's a 16-year-old feeling her first curiosity about love. So it's safe to say that she has a lot of loving romantic feelings stored up to give, for sure. Now, when it comes to the fairies, here's the thing to me. I read the moment of going out to pick the berries differently, but that's just a perception difference. But to me, loving somebody is also looking out for their best interests. Sure. So just like with, you know, the dwarves tell Snow White, hey, don't let any strangers in. And she doesn't listen. The, yeah. And the fairies say to Aurora, don't talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Then she is completely willing to let a stranger who could mean harm come to the cottage where her elderly aunts live. Then when they bring her back to the castle, which is their duty, she gives them the teenage silent treatment, not saying a single word to them. And like you said, these are the only people she has known her whole life. And I think being willing to bring this person who she has no information about, she further has no information about men in general because she's never seen any, back to the cottage when there obviously must have been a good reason why her caretakers, and again, the only people she has known, told her not to, and therefore not only endangering herself but them as well, I don't think that's very loving. I think it's reckless, and I don't think it's putting the interests of the people that she loves first. And that's what love is. Sure. I I do think that there is a little level of recklessness in what she's doing there. But what I will also say that does differ from her in terms of, you know, what Snow White does is when she's meeting this stranger, she's having that sort of like Rapunzel flipping back and forth. Like that's what happens in that like comedy moment of like, Mm -hmm. oh no, I can't ever see you again. Where she's like, oh no, no, no. She still doesn't give him his, her name. She doesn't say who she is. She says, like, we'll never meet again. And then he's like, well, when can we meet? And, she, and he's like, tomorrow. And then she's like, no, later this evening. Like, it's this very funny moment of going back and forth because she is at war with herself and trying to maintain the rules that have been put in place by the fairies. Because I think she doesn't want to disappoint them. And that's also why immediately when she comes home, she tells them that she did meet someone. And yes, she's fallen in like head over heels for this guy, but she tried to maintain the rules. She did keep some boundaries. She let him know where she was going to be, which like, you know, first date, you don't necessarily want to bring someone back to your house, but at least she let the people in her life know who would be affected that that happened, as opposed to just being like, you're going to find out later. I think she could have been like, meet me back here at the same spot. Rather than exposing, again, three elderly women to someone who could have intentions that you know nothing about. Sure. Like hmm. exposing seven elderly men to the wrath. They of weren't an home. They're at work. She, the only person who got affected by her actions was her. I don't think Aurora is telling the, the three fairies about someone she met to be like, I want to make sure it's okay with you. I'm respecting boundaries. She fully, again, based off of the emotion that I don't blame her for, but the emotion she does show. 
she's on this track and she's got a one track mind in this moment, which is like, I need to meet up with him. He said he's coming here tonight. And that's what's happening. She doesn't ask for permission. Sure. But even so, she still tells them she doesn't have to. She could say, meet me back at the cottage. I'm going to hop out the window and we'll run off together. She comes back. First thing out of her mouth is, I met someone. I felt he's going to come back later this evening. Sure, maybe it's because she's, you know, has different motives for it, but she still tells them. She doesn't keep that a secret because I think that there is a level of love and trust there between her and the fairies. Yeah, I don't know if I would define it as loving to do any of that stuff, which was the first thing that they asked her not to do, especially, again, these three specifically are Well, she's managed to not do it for 16 years. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. But again, they're her caretakers. They're the, they're the people who have kept her safe up until this point. Feels a little backstabby. I don't think that is backstabby. <laughs> but moving on to Dreamer, the last of her characteristics, there's a lot of Aurora that has to do with dreams because that's really all that she has. She only mm-hmm. has the fairies and the animals as the people that, you know, she can hang out with and communicate with for 16 Mm -hmm. years. And if the pandemic has sort of taught anyone anything, it's that, you know, the people that you're with for an extended period of time can sometimes drive you nuts. And she (laughs) escapes into her dreams and she's had these conversations with this dream guy and she's envisioned him. And I think there's a beautiful element of fate that comes in with Aurora's story that plays out with her and Philip and their romance. She's visualized this guy in her dreams and then this guy appears in the woods right at the at the same time that she's finally telling the animals about that she's met this person and he plays in and she's hesitant at first and he you know, makes her feel at ease. And he happens to also be exactly the same person that she is betrothed to so that everything winds up okay. Like, I think there's there's something really beautiful in in that sort of story of, like, everything just happened to, like, really work out. All the stars aligned in the same moment. Like, yes, the two of them danced together one time, but there's so much else that's sort of, like, bigger than them that's at play in their story. And... I think Aurora, I mean, she's a romantic. Her dreams are really quite universal. She dreams of love, plain and simple. That's that's her goal. That's what she wants more than anything. She doesn't need to be a princess for that love. In fact, she actively doesn't want to be a princess because that is what is putting the love that she now has in front of her at risk. Does she go ahead and, you know, become the princess anyway? Yes, because she loves the fairies more and that's what they told her to do. But... There's something beautiful in her pursuit of love. Also, going by the the thought that she does tell the fairies that she met someone and that he's coming to the cottage, like, there's a level of, like, meet the family that's coming with it, too. Where it's mm-hmm. like, these are mm-hmm. some, these are some like, positive steps in a, in a really healthy relationship as opposed to, I just met some rando in the woods and now we're engaged. Like, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. there's a healthy level of, we have a dream and we're going after it realistically. Yes, fantastically, but realistically as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, like you said, her ability to imagine circumstances way outside the ones she knows is pretty astounding. Like, she basically has to create for herself what romance and love could possibly even be like and mean to her. 
and have faith that there is some way that she'll actually meet someone after literally only knowing her aunts for her entire life. But she is still convinced it's going to happen for her. And that that's that is purely from her dreaming that up. And that takes a lot. I got to give her credit for that. I mean, she talks about like she says, oh, it's so romantic. I'm like, how the hell would she even know what that means? Like she has had no experience even coming close to that. She believes that her first experience of love could actually work out right away the way that she wants it to. And like, that's the ultimate dream, right? That's what we all want. So definitely, I agree with her being a dreamer for sure. Okay. Let's move on to design then. All right. So the design of Snow White. So her her design overall gives her a very childlike appearance, which I think does excuse some of her naivete. So the design strengthens parts of her character that do have the tendency to be dismissed as weak or passive or just overly or as we've described it at times, toxic. Her figure and hair reflect uh, girlishness. And the interesting thing about Snow White's design is that it evolved over time. Early sketches of the character resembled Betty Boop, as Snow's supervising animator was Grim Natwick, who developed Betty Boop at the Fleischer Studio. Over time, the designs of both Snow and the Evil Queen became much more naturalistic. They both started um, very cartoonish and caricature So Snow White kind of evolved from a Hollywood starlet-inspired design. Then there was uh, a depiction by Hamilton Lusky that made her a very gangly and awkward teenager, to then a blonde design with influences from Eugene Grasset's Le Printemps from the 1800s. The evolution of Snow's design is very impressive. This is Disney's first princess, and her evolution from cartoonish to a much more natural looking set the stage for every single princess to come and the tone of the Disney fairy tale in general. Marge Champion was the live-action reference for Snow, and the movement that the character is imbued with, I feel, is extremely impressive for 1937 when I look at other things that were released at the time. When I watch this and I watch her moving, especially when she's dancing, nothing about it feels like watching an outdated cartoon where you go, ooh, cringe, that looked a little not-so-natural. I'm very impressed by, by the movement of even her clothing, too, for the time period. Um, Walt was inspired by the film version of Romeo and Juliet that was released in 1936, especially in images like Snow in the Glass Coffin. But you can also feel this influence in Snow's look in general and the gothic romantic mood of the Romeo and Juliet film. Snow's dress feels very right for her. It feels pretty age-appropriate while still bringing to mind gowns like the one seen in the 1936 Romeo and Juliet. If you pull up photos of it, very similar. The 1600s influence is very clear with her puff sleeves that feature the Tudor slashing design with the red cloth peeking through and the ruffed collar. And I think Snow's color palette is so instantly recognizable. And I think that's another Disney princess precedent that she began. I think if you put, if you group together the color palettes of different Disney princesses looks, you can identify them without seeing their face or their figure. And I think that started with Snow White. And while it is nowhere near my favorite princess gown at all, I do think it set the precedent and did a damn good job of it. Snow also doesn't get luscious Disney princess hair, which is sad. Um, but look up pictures of Claudette Colbert from the time period, and you'll see that she was very much in style for the time. I will have to admit, there is a little bit of a, it's, it happens with both of these princesses, there's a little bit of a mixed metaphor going on. So her hair is very 1930s Claudette Colbert, a little bit Shirley Temple with the bow, and her heels especially are very 1930s, 1940s. 
The gown is 17th century inspired, but lacking the typical hoop underneath from that time period, but that's probably on purpose to reference Snow's youth. So for me, even though there are lots of different time periods happening in her look, I do think for the year that the movie came out, she was a very nice mixture of a fairy tale princess while also reflecting the standards of beauty for the time. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to fault you for anything that's said there. I think her costume is really unique. I think it's really beautiful. The primary colors really make a statement. You've got that yellow, you have blue and you have red all in one picture against white and black. So those colors really pop and it makes sure that your eyes are always drawn to her when she's in the scene. Even more than that, I think I want to talk about her costume in the park as well, because I think her costume in Mm. the parks is just a wonderful realization of the film. The bob, the bow, the sleeves, the collar, they're truly just one of a kind, as you said. When you put this costume down, it is an iconic costume that you could put it in a silhouette of a million different costumes from cinema history, and you would know what this costume is. You would know Mm -hmm. that Snow White. And I think that's a really good design. Speaking of design for Aurora. I'm also going to keep it simple because I've talked a lot throughout the history of the podcast around the design of this film, how exquisite it is, how, you know, they were trying to evolve the animation of the way that they were doing characters to match what they were doing with this heavily stylistic background. Aurora is sort of the next evolution of what the Disney princess looks like. She is the bridge between the Cinderella's and the Snow Whites to the Ariels of the world. I think, though, you know, just sort of beyond just that, I've spoken about her dress, her her Briar Rose dress. <laughs> I mean... It won a PUA award, people. So that's it how won you a know. PUA award. So that's why she's <laughs> going to win this category. Uh, she is <laughs> impeccably realized as a character. When you have the standard of saying this is Sleeping Beauty, everything about her has to be beautiful. And when the fairies are giving her the gifts of beauty and the gifts of song, to have all of that really come together and form one cohesive character, where all of these parts fit together and they don't feel like they're separated from one another. I think that's really a feat because really when it comes down to it, like Aurora, the voice, the hair, the costuming, everything about her is just top notch. It's classic Disney princess. She has, I think one of the most beautiful voices out of all of the Disney princesses because she has this high standard for how her, you know, song has to perform. I think she just hits it. She like knocks everything out of the part. And yeah, I've gushed about her casual wear. Her her blue oh. and pink color changing dress is mm-hmm. iconic. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is my favorite aspect of Aurora. Like she's just <laughs> on a superficial level. She's just stunning. Like she's the hot. You just want to look at her. She's hot. Like her hair is absolutely incredible. I'm like, do I have a crush on her? Do I want to be her? It's probably a little bit of both. Developer Tom Oreb modeled her after Audrey Hepburn. And to that, I say, oh, yes, it's so clear. And so it's so beautiful. Just the way that she moves around the screen is stunning. Um, we've talked about, I, I won't go into the peasant dress because we did award it a Pua. It's it's beautiful. Um, it's interesting. Like Snow White, it's it's got a bunch of mixed metaphors going on. And like Snow, I think they all come together really nicely. In her peasant outfit, for example, the... Peter Pan-like collar and the calf-length skirt are very 1950s inspired, but then we get some nice medieval corset action. But it's just the neutrals that really do it for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just that that color palette is wonderful. And 
although the design of her princess gown doesn't have anything that's like straight up identifiably medieval, it still feels very of the period. It's very timeless. It's stunning in its simplicity. I found out that Alice Davis, who eventually married Mark Davis, um, designed some of Aurora's costumes. And I can feel a woman designing for a female character. And I love that. Nothing about what she wears is like impractical. And I really enjoy that. It feels like you can move and you can do what you need to do in in those outfits. Also, I think just, I mean, this is the movie overall, but the angular nature of her design, it feels very refreshingly different from, from other princesses. And, and that's why, like, when you look at when they did the redesign of a lot of the princesses looks, I found that so frustrating with Aurora because it, it's they got rid her of into it. genericness. And yeah. I'm like, no, no, she's stunning in her exact vibe that she is in. All right. Let's let's go on to the last part. I think one of my favorites. How much of a role model are they? All right. So Snow White as a role model and how much she encourages us. So as I've said, this is kind of pulling together a lot of the things we've talked about already. Snow White is a survivor. I think it's it's very admirable to model making the best of situations that scare us or that make us sad. If we're talking about it at a level of, of children consuming this. She contributes whenever she can. And she also takes ownership of the fact that we ultimately have the ability to influence our situations through our attitude. When she says, remember, you're the one who can fill the world with sunshine. I really enjoy this sense of personal responsibility. And I feel like it's pretty unique to Snow White. We don't quite get that message from some of the earlier princesses. And like I said it before, and I'll, and I'll keep saying it, there's definitely aspects of her that are outdated. But I really don't believe that she is waiting to be rescued by a prince. She has moved on with her life. She has started a new life for herself in the woods. And she's not sitting there moping. She's made herself busy and she is actively working to make herself a part of the world that she is now in. She treats others the way that she wants to be treated, regardless of how they treat her. And like I said, she heaps extra kindness on those who need it. I think uh, it's a beautiful thing, but also something... I feel so-so about teaching children, I will say. Snow can easily let people take advantage of her, as we said. She could use a touch of cynicism. But I also, on the other hand, think it's pretty remarkable that her ordeal, and literally that day and up her life up until that point, didn't give her any. I'd be suspicious of everybody and bitter as all hell. And there's something about Snow White. She very much has an inner light. And yes, it's sunshine, you know, shining down on her in the coffin. But I really love that image of the sun on the coffin because I do feel like that that sums her up very well. There is an inner light that really seems very impossible to extinguish. And I really enjoy that. And we talked about this part already. This is something that's not so good. This is she it's part of her behavior, but I think it's this story in general. And it's interesting that we're doing this episode because it's come up in entertainment news recently as well. But this version of her story, unlike the grim fairy tale, does reinforce gender stereotypes about men being useless around the house and women being expert cooks and cleaners. You can totally miss me with that. But I'm not going to hold that against her. I'm going to hold that more against the story in general. I know based on everything that I've said so far, this is kind of like my closing statement, essentially. I know everything that I've said so far makes it seem like I don't care for Snow White. And I actually do like Snow White. I just do not think that this version of Snow White is the one that I love the most. Uh, 
I think there are many other versions of Snow White that I've seen throughout the years that better exemplify the character. And I think, honestly, one of the best ones that I've seen is Jennifer Goodwin's portrayal of Snow White in Once Upon a Time, the TV show on ABC. But this is the Snow White that we are looking at today. And I think that this Snow White currently exists in the right dose of role model that we need. Her film isn't one that people typically seek out and actively return to again and again. Most of what people know or enjoy about Snow are small bits and pieces or moments that they vaguely remember, or more often, the Snow in the Parks, who I think is one of the best princesses to meet, actually. Mm. However, I think when you sit down and digest all of Snow White in a single sitting, more often her characteristics come off as saccharine and overly dated. She's an ideal princess for another time and place. Her essence is enough for us now, but not necessarily all of what she is in the film. I'll also say, just sort of wrapping up some of my other thoughts, I just don't know if I'm all about Snow White being a perfect role model. She makes some genuinely not good decisions. (laughs) She falls in love or is wooed by a stranger in a matter of seconds, never has a conversation with him. In fact, she runs away and then falls in love further from him Then these good men take her in, protect her, and tell her not to let people into her house, and then she doesn't listen. And then when those same good men take care of her in her death and guard her body, when the prince just, like, happens on her corpse in the woods, he's like, I met her maybe once, so I'll kiss her. And then she wakes up, and she's like, bye, my reliable and trusted friends. Uh, You know, I'm going to go with this prince who I don't know to a kingdom that I don't know where it is. Like, I just, it's the lack of pragmatism there in her that if there was a level of fate, I think, in the way that Aurora and Philip have like that, if there was a level of fate in her story with Prince Charming, I think I would buy into it a little bit more. And honestly, I think I would buy into Prince Charming a little bit more because I think he's kind of a dud. Mm-hmm. And then my other my other biggest thing is for someone who is the protagonist in this film, in the way that I do not think that Aurora is the protagonist of her film, we get to see her trajectory through the entirety of the movie. And it frustrates me that she doesn't grow as a character. There's no, there's no arc in her character. Arguably, I would say there's no arc in any of the characters in the film. But that's one of the things that Mm -hmm. frustrates me because when I think of a princess as a role model, I think that there is something to be learned in their story. And when I think of the best princesses in the princess collection, they have something that they are learning in the story. And it's them learning that, that they serve as an, an example for us. And then my last thing is, I'm just like, anybody who takes apples from a strange hag when there's a hit out on you, I just don't know. (laughs) I just don't know. (sighs) So now on to our final thoughts about Aurora, how much of a role model she is, how much she encourages us. Listen, I'm going to preface this. Aurora is in her film for exactly 16 minutes. Uh, Oh, it's wild. She's here in, in a blip. I will say, though, for those 16 minutes, she really does make an impact. Like, for us to get that much of a character from that little screen time is I think a real feat for her. And I think that there's something pretty wonderful in having a princess who dreams of love, whatever that may look like. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a prince. Like her dream man is a prince, but the guy that shows up, she doesn't know is a prince and she's still equally in love. She just is looking for love, whatever it looks like. And it's all really just about the genuine connection that she has 
Uh, sure, I don't think Aurora is the most progressive princess in the collection. She's certainly not my favorite, but I don't necessarily think that she does anything wrong. If anything, I think Aurora is truly a victim in this story where a lot of what is happening is happening to her as opposed to her actively making choices or, you know, refusing to learn. She's put under a trance to prick her finger. And one of the things that, one of the moments that I actually really like about that is, that sort of gives me hope as to her having like some sort of agency as a character, is the moment where she's about to prick her finger and she pulls back. Because I always read that moment as Aurora having a moment of resistance, Mm -hmm. like having a moment where she's fighting what's being done to her. And I know that might be a lot to put on one very simple moment that's happening in the climax, like one of the big climax moments of the film. But I think that's important for me to have with Aurora for someone who is just such, you know, often, oftentimes seen as like a, a passenger in her own film is that there is a moment where even in like the big, the, the big thing she's fighting for herself or she's trying to do something. That is a moment that encourages me to be like, even when things feel like you don't have any control, you can find a moment where you have a little bit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then prick your finger and die. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. I think she's a victim through no fault of her character, through just the structure of the story and the way it's focused on the fairies for sure. I think the most admirable part as i said earlier about her is her imagination and her ability to dream i wish that she did something more with it i actually and i think some people would disagree would have loved to see her try to run away with philip because she's so determined not to lose him and her dreams of finding love which she believes is with this person that she found the person that she's that this is the person that she's in love with i could definitely get behind some romeo and juliet type action but then It appears to me, and I see it from a different perspective now that you've described it, but it always came off to me that her decision to go with the fairies, go to the castle, um, feels very passive. Maybe I should assume the best and say that she's trying, she's like, I'm going to do my duty. But I don't know. As soon as she got to the castle, she could have gone to find the king and queen right away. And be like, hey, um, I agree to this. Okay, fine. I'm a princess. But I was supposed to meet up with somebody today. Like, you are the king and queen. Please, like, find him. Please let me get back there and tell him where I am. Just to take one, if 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 what I want to look up to the most in Aurora is that she is a dreamer. The next step of being a dreamer is taking as much action as you can within parameters. Like, she wants to obey and she's going to go to the castle within the parameters set up for her to take some agency and to do what she can about that situation. Like you're describing that feeling of pulling her finger back from being pricked. I wanted more of that and I wanted more of it sooner. So then both of our gals in this instance have the disobeying adults thing and talking to strangers thing. Both of them are guilty of that. I will say though, this guy grabs you in the woods and you keep trying to move away from him, which I would say is the right instinct and he keeps trying to reach for you and you don't get a little mad or at the very he least apologizes. trying to make a run for it because at this point he's coming off very aggressive. Like again, like you said, where is your animal instinct of a stranger is grabbing me and I to- and I pulled away so that he couldn't and then he tried to grab me again. 
That's dangerous. I don't know. But also Bill Shirley's voice where he's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to frighten you. Like, it's But that's so, what people so say sin- when they're trying to kidnap you. I don't know. But it's like, was come so pet sincere. my dog in the van. <laughs> and now, okay, I'll sound like a hater. But I okay. actually mean this genuinely. I mean this part without any sass. I, yeah. I just don't really know what else there is for me to admire about her. She's very lovely. For me, that's about it. This, like we said, this movie is so much about fairies that to me, yeah, it's not totally her fault that she's so bland. She only has 18 lines. The last thing that we ever hear from her is her crying. And that's and that's very disappointing. Again, not through any fault of the character. But for me, at the end of the day, when it comes to her being a role model, I don't have anything to grasp onto from her and walk away with. The thing that has always stuck with me from Snow White, because I've repeated it a hundred times already, is remember you're the one who can fill the world with sunshine. That's the essence that I take away. I don't get a takeaway from Aurora that I can hold on to. Once upon a dream, dream, I'm all for dreams and dreamers. It's not enough for me to take with me and like use as a guiding principle for my life, whereas I find it easier to do that with Snow White. And personally, not if you dream a a thing more than once, it's bound to come true. I guess I'm cynical and I'm like, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Then Um, what you doing over there with Snow White? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at the end of the day, I guess I, Aurora, Snow White and Cinderella all get lumped together as the early princesses as as being very passive. And I think every single one of them of the three deserves more credit. And it really it's really starting to irk me mm-hmm. because like at the end of the day like none of them is like fully obsessed with the prince and waiting to be rescued. Actually neither of the th- none of the three of them are waiting to be rescued. Let me just no. say that and let that be said. Um but at the end of the day I would rather see for me what I'm looking for in a Disney princess, I would rather see her go out there and make mistakes and make the wrong choices because of the agency to make the choices rather than the vibe that I can't help but get from Aurora, which is which is passivity. That just never really does it for me. There were opportunities for her to take her her defining characteristic of a dreamer and really chase her dreams to the best of her ability. And I felt like she let her situation overwhelm her and she went a little wet noodle. Yeah, I would agree with you. I do think that it's sort of unfair in the way that these three princesses get lumped together. And yeah. again, I'll I'll say what I said about Aurora of like, do I think that she is the best example of a Disney princess? Do I think that she is the most exciting? Do I think that she is the one who is who is most of a role model? No, there's a little lady called Belle who's going to come down a few uh, years. <laughs> and like, you know. But do I think that what we have from her in her 16 minutes, I would take over Snow White. I would. Damn. Damn. I mean, I this was the conclusion we were driving towards. <laughs> I know. I, for me, it comes down to choice. A big thing for me of, of like what, what encourages me in a Disney princess is what is the lesson that they're learning from their story? And... While I think neither of these two princesses has a lesson learned from their story, there is one who actively makes choices and one who's never given that opportunity. And so I can't judge the person who's never been given the opportunity. I can judge the person who has multiple opportunities and continues to make not the right choices. And so that's where I come down on this. Okay. For me, the essence that I'm able to take away of the princess, which for me, like I said, with snow is you can you're the one who can fill the world with sunshine. I will take that 
over someone who definitely is a dreamer, but could have, yes, has limited opportunities, but could have done more to chase her dreams. And again, on a, on a more superficial note, I just like look at her. I'm like, what do I, what about her do I want to make a role model? And I genuinely like, she just doesn't inspire anything in me. Like she, she feels, and you've, we've heard dribs and drabs of this opinion of, from me before. She's so, she's so very bland She makes to me. me want to dress well. She does make me want to put on a peasant dress and get and out And dance there. barefoot Black in the woods. Band. Like, damn. Yeah. Girl can dance <laughs> yeah. in the woods. She's like a witch. <laughs> well, there you have it. We ended this exactly where we started. Neither of us have been <laughs> able to sway the other one. And, yeah. You know what I think came of this is that we are like, when you really take a minute and examine these early princesses who get waved off often, there's a lot more going on for both of them than, than they usually get credit for. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. So let us know what you think at the end of all of this. Um, Who do you see as the winner of this showdown? Or is the winner all of us? Uh, Thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. That way all of our episodes download right to your device. Also, if you enjoyed this, please remember to hit five stars and leave a review and a rating. All of that does so much for us to help other people find the podcast, get seen in search results, all that good stuff. So please take the couple seconds it it takes to just do that and we will forever be in love with you. Mm, Yes. Please also follow us on social media. We are at Poor Unfortunate Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Unfortunate Pod on Twitter. That would be a perfect place for you to send us your opinions about this and any episode. And like I said, um, over the holiday season, we ran a little giveaway on Instagram. So there's always some extra things uh, going on there that you don't want to miss. And if you want to talk to us and some other listeners even more in depth about these episodes, please join us in our private Facebook group, The Poor Unfortunate Fam. So we have discussions about each episode in there. We've got some Disney quizzes that we take sharing some Disney updates. It's a really wonderful place to be. I know Facebook is blah, but this is the bright corner of Facebook. And so it's if Snow you're White's still hanging on there. Sunshiny corner. Yes. This is the sunshiny corner of Facebook. So we would love to have you there and get to know you a little bit better. And as I always say, it does take us a little bit of money to keep the podcast up and running and coming to you all. We do have a PayPal account where we are accepting donations. It's linked in the episode description and in our website links on all of our social media accounts. Truly anything that you have to spare goes a long way for us. You can make a $5 donation, $10 donation, $20, more than that. You can make it monthly. Uh, You can make it a one-time donation. It all just goes right back into the podcast so that we can keep this up and running Keep it free for the most part, ad-free whenever possible. And every every little bit goes a long way for us. So thank you to everyone who has donated over the last year. Thank you thank to the people you. who have, you know, signed up to be monthly donors. You are truly making a difference and and keeping this coming. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, anything else? Mm, no. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Here we go. Let's let's rock out the rest of season two. Mm-hmm. Until next time, Beluga, Beluga Savruga. Savruga.